Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Adam, and I'm so excited that we're all here tonight to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Just a reminder, tomorrow is Christmas Day, so if there's any last-minute Christmas shopping to do, take it from somebody who's been there. You do it before the day of. And if you're looking for any gift ideas for that special someone, I've got the best idea for you. A broken drum. You just can't beat it. Wow. My wife told me not to use that joke, but I couldn't resist. But now my wife and I, we are ready for Christmas this year, as ready as anybody can be. And already our Christmas season is shaping up to be pretty different from last year for a couple of reasons. One is we have an addition to our family. This is my son, Liam. He is almost five months old now. Crazy how fast time flies. The other thing that makes this year different from last year is the way that we decorated our Christmas tree. So when my wife and I first got married, she took charge of uh, decorating the tree, and it had to be color-coordinated in a certain style. And so any ornament that didn't fit that style was not going on the tree. And this year, as we decorated our tree, we just decided anything goes, no style, no color coordination, just a mixed match of different ornaments, some that are nice, some sentimental, some are totally random. Uh, anyways, the reason why I'm talking about Christmas trees is because I believe that we can use Christmas trees as an illustration for our lives, and we can use ornaments as an illustration of our life events or the things that happen to us. So just work with me here, all right? I think we would all say we have hopes and dreams and expectations for how we want our lives to go. And if we're picking, we want our lives to look more like that styled Christmas tree. We want everything to fall in line. We want it to go by our plans. We want everything to fit a certain script. And so for a lot of us, what we would like is we want to fall in love with somebody and get married we want to have that house of our dreams. We want to maybe have a couple of kids, be successful in a career, and last but not least, enjoy retirement. And it would be so great if our lives just followed our hopes and desires. But the truth is, this isn't how a lot of our lives turn out. Oftentimes we get thrown that curveball in life and things that we're not counting on end up happening to us. Things like maybe losing your job or maybe it's going through a divorce or it could be going through sickness and having doctor's appointments, hospital bills, all of that. And if these are the kinds of things that hit you in life, oftentimes when that happens, we call out to God and we ask God the big question, why? Why, God, do I have to go through this? What's going on here? What's your plan? What is the reason for this? And we've all heard this saying, everything happens for a reason. And maybe you've had a good intention person tell you that everything happens for a reason. When you're going through some tough things in your life, 
But how comforting is that? Oftentimes, not really. It's easier to resonate with the saying that everything happens for a reason. If we're talking about positive things, or at least things that we can look back on and connect the dots and maybe see the silver lining and frame it in a positive light. But then there's some other things in our life where it's really hard to see anything positive to it. It's hard to frame it out in a positive light. And I've experienced both ends of this in my life. To give you a couple of examples, um, there was that time in my life before I met my, my wife when I was single and I dated a handful of girls and I was very successful at having a relationship not last any longer than three months. <laughs> and so in this season of my life, I was feeling really discouraged. I'm like, God, what are you doing here? Like, am I just gonna be single for the rest of my life? Is there really anybody out there for me? And then all of that changed when my wife entered the scene and we got married. And now I'm looking back and I wouldn't want things any other way. I'm so thankful for the way that things turned out. And now I'm connecting those dots and I'm seeing God was keeping me single in that season of my life until I could meet my wife. All of that was for a reason. I can put a positive spin on it. But then there's some other things in my life. I look back and I try to connect those dots. I try to see a bigger purpose and frame it in a positive light. But I just can't. Things like, why would God want me and my wife to have two early term miscarriages? What is God up to there? How can I see that in a positive light? Now, if I had to take a guess, a lot of you here tonight, You've got things going on in your life. And maybe you're asking God the question, why is this happening to me? What is going on here? And I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know what God is doing. But what I do know is that God loves you and God still has a plan for your life. Even in the midst of some things that are happening that are just straight up uncomfortable or unexpected. And I think that the Christmas story gives us a really great example of this. That even in the midst of circumstances that are not how we planned it out to be, not what we want to go through, things that are tough, God still has a plan. And so we're going to walk through some of these things in the Christmas story together, starting with the words from a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah talks about Jesus about 700 years before Jesus is even born into the world. And he says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, I'm pretty sure that just about everybody here in this room is pretty familiar with the Christmas story. Like, you know about Jesus being born in a stable. You know about Mary and Joseph. But just imagine with me for a minute that you don't know anything about Jesus from the New Testament. Imagine you don't know anything about Jesus from books of the Bible like Matthew and Luke. Imagine you don't know about Jesus being born in a stable or about Mary and Joseph and all of that. And just form a picture in your mind 
of what you think Jesus is like just from the words of Isaiah. And I'll just go back and read a few parts of this. Isaiah says that Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he talks about the government resting on Jesus' shoulders and him ruling in fairness and bringing peace. And so this is the picture that ancient Israelites had in their minds of what Jesus would be like. And they kind of filled in the blanks for maybe what it would be like for Jesus to come into this world and to rule with fairness and peace. And I think for a lot of us, since we're so familiar with the Christmas story, we tend to think that is kind of normal. Like you hear it enough times and you're like, oh yeah, that's just the Christmas story. Jesus being born in a manger and wise men and all of that kind of stuff. But let's just imagine for a little bit like we're hearing this story for the first time and we have this picture of what we think Jesus will be like as that mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And what we're gonna see is that the Christmas story and the way that it unfolds would have seemed very unlikely to the ancient Israelites living around the time that Jesus was born. And so we're gonna take a look at all these unlikely events and see that even in the midst of all of that, God still has a plan, starting with Jesus being born in a manger. So in the Christmas story, it says, she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. And I have no idea how recently it was used before they laid Jesus in that feeding trough. I have no idea what kind of animals were eating out of it. But when I think of a manger, I think of a slobbery cow tongue. Like, can you imagine laying your newborn baby in a feeding trough for animals? I mean, maybe if you've already had a bunch of kids and this is the last, it might not phase you as much. But for your first kid, and not just any kid, this is Jesus. This is the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God. He's coming into this world and being born in a manger? That would have seemed so unlikely. And it's not that Jesus just kind of roughed it for one night and then he started living like royalty or things would have been the way that people had planned on. Even after being born into this manger... Jesus went on living in a family that was very impoverished and struggled to just make it by financially. And we know this to be true from the description of how they dedicated Jesus to the Lord after he was born. And so the Christmas story says that, that the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. And according to the Jewish laws at that time, the way they would dedicate a child to the Lord is they would bring a one-year-old lamb and they would bring a pigeon and a turtle dove. And they would sacrifice that lamb at the temple and give this offering to the Lord. And the only exception to bringing a lamb to sacrifice is if that family is too poor to even afford that lamb. And in that case, they could just bring 
two turtle doves or two pigeons. And in the next verse, talking about Mary and Joseph dedicating Jesus to the Lord, it says, so they offered a sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph didn't bring a lamb to offer to God when they dedicated Jesus because they were too poor to even afford that lamb. And this is the family that Jesus was born into, the family that Jesus was raised in, which would have seemed really unlikely for somebody who the government rests upon his shoulders, somebody who's this ruler figure who is God himself. And these aren't just the only events that would have seemed really unlikely to ancient Jewish people. The other thing that would be really unlikely is that Jesus spent the first part of his life on the run as a fugitive. So if you're familiar with this story, you know about these wise men from the east who are traveling to meet Jesus, to worship him. And as they're traveling to meet Jesus in Bethlehem, they stop in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah. And while they're in Jerusalem, they have a conversation with King Herod, who's ruling over the Jews. He has the title King of the Jews, and he's very possessive of this title to the extent that he murdered one of his wives and two of his sons because they had a claim to the throne. And so he hears from these wise men that there's this king of the Jews, this baby that is born in Bethlehem, and that these wise men are traveling all this way to worship him. And so when Herod hears about this, he tells the wise men to go figure out where the baby is and to come back and to give him word because he wants to worship baby Jesus too. Now, do you really think Herod wants to go worship Jesus? Not a chance. He wants to eliminate the threat. And so the only reason why Jesus' life is saved is because God appeared to Joseph and warned him to move to Egypt. In the Christmas story, it says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And so, welcome to the world, Jesus. Like he's spending the first part of his life living on the run from somebody trying to kill him. And that's not what you would expect from this chosen one of God who is supposed to rule with fairness and peace. And I don't know why the Christmas story played out the way that it did. I don't know why Jesus had to be born and laid in a manger. I don't know why Jesus had to be raised in such a poor family. I don't know why Jesus had to live on the run as a fugitive. But what I do know is that even in these circumstances that would have seemed so unlikely, uncomfortable, or unexpected, even in all of that, God still had a plan. This was all part of God's plan. And the unlikely events that Jesus endured were all for you. This was all part of God's plan of sending Jesus into this world to save people from their sins. And the first book of the Bible, Genesis, talks about the first human, Adam, disobeying God. And when he disobeyed God, he brought sin into the world, brought brokenness and corruption and dysfunction into the world. 
And ever since then, everybody who has ever lived has sin in their lives and brokenness. It's a lot easier to see the sin in lives of people around us, but we all have it in us. And this separates us from a relationship with God because God is perfect and holy and he can't have a close relationship with people who are sinful and broken. And we could try to fix this sin problem, but we just, we can't fix it in our own strength. There's no such thing as doing enough good works to outweigh the bad things that we've done in life. We can't get a good relationship with God just by going to church on Sunday mornings or putting money in the offering plate or anything like that. The only way that this sin problem can be fixed is through Jesus himself. And there's this guy in the Bible named Paul who is a missionary and he writes this in the book to the Roman church. He says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness, what he did for us on the cross, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. There has to be a punishment for sin. If God just said, all right, no punishment for sin, let's just sweep that one under the rug, the God would be unjust. He would not be serving justice to wrong that is done. I mean, God is just, but he's also loving and merciful. And so that's why God sent Jesus into this world to live the perfect life that none of us could ever live. And then Jesus went to the cross and up there on the cross, God punished Jesus for our sin. And because Jesus took the punishment for our sin, if we believe in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, and if we give our lives over to God, we can be forgiven of our sin. And this forgiveness, it covers the sin of our past, because it covers the sin presently in our lives, and it also covers our future sin. And so when we're forgiven by God, we can have this close relationship with him in this life, like right here, right now, and for all of eternity in heaven. And we've talked about all of the unlikely things in the Christmas story, things like Jesus being born in a manger, growing up in a poor family, living as a fugitive. But of all of these things that seem so unlikely, what seems the most unlikely to me is that God would send his only son to come to earth and to die and take the punishment for a sinner like me. I don't know why God didn't just turn his back on me and forget about me or forget about this broken world. I don't know why God would choose to show us love and mercy through sending Jesus, but he did. He did that for a broken sinner like me. And I'm not even just like a once a week sinner. I'm an everyday sinner. Like I get up in the morning, my thoughts aren't always right. And all throughout the day, I'll have like selfishness and pride in my heart. And sometimes I know the right thing to do and I just don't do it. And even the Bible calls that sin. But Jesus died on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sin and have a relationship with God. And Jesus didn't just take the punishment for my sin, but Jesus took the punishment for the sin of everybody here in this room so that we can all be forgiven and have a relationship with him. 
And this is why we celebrate Christmas, because Christmas isn't just about the birth of a baby, but it's about unfolding God's plan for us to have a relationship with him. And unlikely events tend to produce incredible celebrations. It's so unlikely that God would not turn his back on broken, sinful people like us. It's so unlikely that Jesus, who is God himself, would leave his rightful place in heaven to come to earth and to die a criminal's death on a cross, even though he was innocent, just so that we could have forgiveness and know God. And, but this is why we can celebrate Christmas. And if I was writing the Christmas story, like, putting together the script of how Jesus would come into this world and how God would accomplish his plan, the way I would come up with it probably wouldn't include Jesus being born in a manger, Jesus growing up in a poor family, or living on the run as a fugitive. But even in all of that, all these, these uncomfortable, unlikely, unexpected events what we see is that God still had a plan. God was working through Jesus. And my hope for all of us tonight is that our takeaway would be that no matter what you're experiencing in your life, whether it's challenges, painful things that you are going through, unexpected events in your life, that you can know that God loves you and God still has a plan for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your incredible love for us. God, we can't even measure the height and the depth and the width of your love. God, but you've expressed it so perfectly in sending your only son to die an awful death on a cross and take the punishment for our sin. And God, I just thank you so much that you didn't turn your back on us, but that you've made a way for us to have a relationship with you. I thank you that as we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating so much more than just the birth of a baby or stories of angels and wise men, but we're celebrating the hope that we can have in Jesus to be forgiven of our sins and to know you for all of eternity. And God, I pray for anybody here in this room tonight who maybe doesn't know you as their savior, who hasn't experienced true and complete forgiveness. God, I ask that they would know that there is no sin that you cannot forgive, uh, that they would know that you love them no matter what they're going through in their life, no matter what it is. And God, I ask that they would take that step to have that relationship, to have that peace, that comfort, and that freedom that only comes through Jesus. And so God, I pray that uh, just in this Christmas season with so much going on, so much busyness, even tensions and hard times, I just ask that we would know the hope that we have in Jesus and fix our attention on that and just have grateful hearts for all that it is that you have done for us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.